Well, good morning. Good morning, Father Dave Bachelor. Could you turn with me before we do our review to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, by way of introduction, or should I say reintroduction to our story. Yeah, the Hebrews chapter 11. Just like to read a few selected verses from that chapter to kind of set the stage for the the idea behind the story that we're that we're going through these several weeks. But the biblical application of it to you and me is alluded to in this chapter right here. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're familiar with the chapter, you know that the beginning of the chapter opens highlighting heroes of the Bible who had faith and confidence in God and lived their lives according to that faith and confidence. And so they're being highlighted before us in this passage to encourage us in our life's journey. And that's what chapter 12 starts to say, right? Since we're surrounded by these great witnesses to us on what it means to follow Christ, let us also roam with endurance the race that God has set before us. But thinking of Abraham, notice Hebrews 11, 8 says this, by faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham was called by God to get up from where he was, to leave there, to go to some place that God said he would show them, but he didn't know where it was. Verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now he went out from the place that he lived physically, but he realized that he was going someplace where God was providing spiritual blessing for him. And it says he was waiting for that city which whose builder and maker was God himself. And he, like others, verse 13, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were assured of them, embracing them, and confessed that they were, notice, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. He realized, listen, this land in which I live is temporary. I'm just a pilgrim or a stranger passing through this foreign place because he realized he belonged to eternity, but he was living here in time for a season and he was journeying through life and he saw himself as a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So Abraham was called by God from where he was to leave that place to follow God. And by faith, he did. And he saw himself for the rest of his life as a stranger and pilgrim on the earth waiting till the day that he would arrive in the place that God was preparing for him, a city whose builder and maker is God, a heavenly city. And, you know, that's where we're going in this allegory that we've been studying. But before I get into my review and finish the introduction, I'd just like to stop again and let's just pray and ask God's guidance as we go into his word again this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for heroes of the faith. We read in scripture of those who lived in 
Very similar situations to ourselves in a culture that wanted nothing to do with you. In fact, Abraham himself was not really seeking you, but you sought him and you came to him and called him out of where he lived so that he could believe your promise and begin a journey that would last not only through his lifetime, but continues today as he spends eternity with you forever and ever. And Father, it's our desire today that you would help us, first of all, as individuals to realize that you have been seeking us today in our day and age. And that you're calling us out of the world in which we live to begin a journey that would last with you throughout not only this time, but into eternity ourselves. And we have been promised a heavenly city if we would but believe your promises and put our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us by dying on the cross. That we could have the forgiveness of our sins, that we could be made brand new creatures and be filled with your Holy Spirit, pleasing you and serving you and loving you all the days of our lives. Father, would you help us today as we, wherever we are in this journey of our own lives, to see what you would have to say to us, that we might follow the example of these ones in the Bible who are there for us to encourage us in our own personal journey. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, the first thing I'd like to do uh, for those of you who've already gotten your bonus cards uh, is to draw out a few winners. And again, the, 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 bo- the table's hiding behind the, the canvas here. So after the meeting, if you want to come up and take one of the prizes on there, there's some great prizes and uh, you'll enjoy them, I'm sure. And um, Mr. Andrew. Would you mind coming up and help draw out a few names from here? I think we need to up it to five today, right? We're halfway through and I still got way too many things on the table. And so um, we need a little drum roll while Mr. Andrew comes up to draw out a couple names. Okay, number one, let's see. We have Isabel. All right. I don't see. Where is she? There she is. Okay, we got another one. Oh, yeah. Drum roll got a little quiet, didn't it? Michael Moody. I don't know if I saw him this morning. That's all right. Okay, keep drawing. So let's shake him up real good. All right, here's another one. Let's see. We have Dalith Gill. All right, let's draw a couple more. All right, I hear the drum roll increasing again. Isabel again. Well, look at that. You better stop by. All right. Well, your name's still in here. All right, shake them up again. Let's, let's get a colored one this time, not the white pages. Those have been in here a while. All right. And that is Shelton. And we'll do one more, one more, one more today. One color again? Sure. One more. Oh, dig him. He's going deep. All right, sorry, whatever. There we go. And this one is... Shelton? You'll share with somebody, right? Okay. We'll stop right there. Boy, he's glad he came today. All right. Some of you were not here when I brought these Wednesday, so I just wanted to show them again. Maybe you've been inspired to look more into this story. Uh... If you like picture books, this is the one where the pictures we're seeing today and in our presentations come from. It's called The Dangerous Journey. It's, it's a shortened story, but it actually has not changed the words from John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote it in the 1600s, right? But what they did is they just took parts of Bunyan's paragraphs and put them here and went to another paragraph to continue the story because he wrote a lot about everything. But it gives you the ability to follow the story without having to read 600 pages uh, uh, and it has great pictures. And if you'd like to see that, uh, you can come check that out. If you'd like to read one that's uh, in updated English, this one's made for probably middle school, early high school. Um, It's been updated English and it's written reader's theater. So you can actually see when Christian speaks, when interpreter speaks and read it back and forth. 
And um, if you'd rather just listen to it, Answers in Genesis has a five CD unabridged original text from John Bunyan. It's actually fairly easy to follow because they read it very well. And um, I, I encourage you to consider that when it's, it's a great rendition of the story. And I think I told you someone wrote, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a, a modified allegory based in the 1800s of a railroad that you can get on the railroad to take yourself to the uh, celestial city, or so you may think. Um, just like the devil is trying to convince Pilgrim at every hand to get off the path, guess who's actively involved in the railroad? You can uh, check that one out also. All right. <clears throat> just wanted to encourage you to check that out. It's a great story. Speaking of the story, uh, who did I say wrote this story that we've been studying? All right, let me see. I'm trying to find... Yes, can you tell me? Yeah. Who wrote the story? John Bunyan. John Bunyan. What country did he live in? Lived in the country of? England. That's right. And I already said when he lived, right? In the 1600s. But something happened to him. He got arrested. Why did John Bunyan get himself arrested in our story? Because he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the Bible without a license from the government. So they locked him up in jail for how long? Remember how long he was in, pri- in prison? Jaina? Twelve years. He was in prison for twelve he years. I just saw him here somewhere. What? He couldn't have gone too far. Oh! <laughs> hey, Al, I thought I heard your voice. Um, uh, how are you today? Oh, hi, Mr. Dave. I'm okay, I guess. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, but uh, wh- wh- what do you mean, I guess? You don't sound too convincing. Well, I guess nothing is really wrong. I just had a disappointing morning. Disappointing? What do you mean? Well, I invited a friend of mine over for breakfast this morning because we wanted to come to Sunday school and hear the lesson, but we didn't want our tummies grumbling, you know? Yeah, that's a good idea. I I hope everyone had a good breakfast so your tummy's not rumbling during this. So how was breakfast? Um, pretty good. But it didn't turn out so well. What do you mean? See, when I started to make the omelet for breakfast, because we both love eggs... Oh, me too. I love eggs. The first three of them were normal, just like you would expect. But the the last one, it was the best one of them all. It was black and smelly. And oh, I got so excited. I just whipped them all together and started to cook it. But my friend wouldn't eat it. It was terrible, Mr. Well, Dave. I can tell you why you didn't want to eat it. You know, it had a rotten egg in it. People don't, you know, alligators are a little different than people, you know. People don't eat eggs with rotten, uh, omelets with rotten eggs in it. They don't? No. People are strange. (laughs) Well, true, alligators are a little different. But listen, even when you have three good eggs in your omelet, if you have that one rotten egg and you mix it all together, it's just unacceptable to a human. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. But you know... I guess I shouldn't have gotten so upset with my friend. Well, yeah, maybe not. I mean, if you were a person, you would have realized that. But, you know, now that you mention it, Al, do you know it's, did you know it's the same way with God? What do you mean? Well, I mean, there are people in the world who try to do lots of good things, right? And even if they do lots and lots of good things, 
We all still do bad things, right? And so they think that if they can just have a few bad sins and bad things in their life mixed up with their good things, that their life will be acceptable to God and they can get to heaven. But that's not true. See, the Bible says that even one sin's enough to keep us out of heaven. And so they're not going to be able to get there. Unless, I got to tell you this, see, the good news is, is that God has made a way for a person to have their sins forgiven. Not because they do good things, but because Jesus did good things. You know about Jesus, don't you? Yeah, well, you need to come to Sunday school more often, right? But Jesus didn't have any sin. And he lived his whole life without a single sin. And because he had no sin, he didn't deserve to die because the penalty for sin is death. But since he had no sin, he didn't deserve to die, but he did die because he wanted to take the place of any sinner who's willing to believe his promise. Jesus said, if you will put your trust in him, then the death that he died would be the payment for your sin. And then your sin will be paid for by his death on the cross. And then he'll forgive you and you'll be able to spend forever with him in heaven. But not because we do good things, but because of what he did for us. And we put our trust in him. What do you think of that? Whoa, that's good news. Mm-hmm. I wonder if my friend understands that. I think I'm going to go tell him mm. and apologize for not understanding him for not eating my omelet. Mm. That's a good. That's a good idea. Well, I hope you have a good day, Al. Me too. And come back to Sunday school, okay? Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Al. See you later, Al. Wow. Now where was I? Um, we were talking about pilgrim. Yeah, before omelets, we were talking about Pilgrim's Progress, right? And so he was in prison for 12 years. But during that time, he wrote this story. And it's a fantastic story because it quotes the Bible throughout. It kind of puts together the parts of the Christian life that we learn about in the Bible into one person's story to kind of follow it from beginning to end. But see, he didn't begin in a good place, right? He began in a city whose name was, whose name was Destruction, right? And he wanted to leave that city because he realized what, what, what was that growing on his back? What was that growing on his back, Isabel? A burden, a burden from the guilt of his sin. The Bible that he was reading told us that he was a sinner and that the judgment of God was going to come on every sinner. And so he didn't know what to do. And so he asked, what shall I do? And who was it that came along to tell him what he should do and where he should go? Yes, sir. Evangelist who shared with him where he could go to find deliverance from this burden. And where did he point him to? To where did he point him, Daniel? There was a light and the light was supposed to picture two things. Who can tell me both things? Micah? Jesus and the Bible. Both of them are called the light in the Bible. And they give us the light that God wants us to know on how we can be delivered from the penalty of our sin. But no sooner did he start out when some friends tried to come after him to bring him back. Who were his two friends who tried to bring him back? Who were his two friends? Friends, James, obstinate, which means stubborn and pliable, which means like bendable, right? Good job, James. And so these two friends wanted to bring him back. Were they successful? No, because he was looking at the word of God and he knew if I go back to the city of destruction, I'm going to be destroyed. I can't do that. And so he continued on his journey. Obstinate went back, but pliable joined him. But where did they end up? They ended up in a terrible, terrible place. Timothy. The slew of despond. It was a hopeless place because of the guilt that they realized as they were walking. 
there was this slough, like a muddy swamp that wanted to swallow them up. But you see, pliable, he didn't have a burden on his back. He, he, he didn't think that the journey was worth all these troubles. So he went back to the city of, of destruction. He didn't so much care about what would happen there because he wasn't reading God's word and not aware of the burden that he should have had on his back because he was under the penalty of God for his sin. But Christian called for help and God sent help who pulled him out of the swamp. And after he got out, he met a man who tried to turn him another wrong way. What was his name? What was his name, Ruthie? Worldly wise wise man who told him if he went up the mountain, there was a man who could teach him the law to help him to get rid of his burden in an easier way. But as we learn from the Bible, the law only brings the consciousness of sin. And so while we think if we just do more good things, we won't feel so guilty, but we realize the harder we try, how much sin we still do and we still feel the guilt from God. And so finally he ran into evangelist again. Evangelist pointed him again towards the gate. And the gate was supposed to remind us of who? Jaina? Jesus. Jesus again. Because Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So he got to the door and he knocked. And goodwill let him in, and he sent him on the, pla- on the way to the place of deliverance. And we learned last time that the interpreter, whose house he stopped at, was a picture of the Holy Spirit who would teach him all things. And he taught him the truths that he needed to know to continue his journey towards the one and only place of deliverance, the cross. And when he got to the cross, his burden... As he stood at the, at the base of the cross, looking to Jesus, believing that that was the one who died for him, his burden fell off his back, rolled down the hill and ended up where? All right. Ended up in the grave, never to be seen again. Well, he hasn't gotten as many as you. You knew more last time. All right. So let's just pick up with our story here. I wanted to talk about the cross for just a few minutes before we go further in our story. Okay, he tried to go up the hill. Evangelist sent him to the place. Very good. Okay, when he came to the cross, his burden fell away and into the tomb, never to be seen again. Now, this is an important part of the story. It is the one and only place where a a sinner can receive forgiveness of sins. Now, we're going to meet some people who try to get to the celestial city and avoid this place, but it is absolutely impossible. You must come to Jesus Christ and him alone, which is why the the, the pathway goes through the gate. But if you are going to be saved, you don't you can't just know that it's Jesus because there's other religious groups who tell you, yes, you need Jesus and Jesus needed to die. But you got to do certain things. No. What you learn is that, yes, it includes and must include Jesus Christ. But now it's not just him as the person of our salvation. But now we come to the place of salvation, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. We learn that it is only the work that Jesus does that can bring forgiveness of sins, because as we told Al, he didn't have any sin and he could actually pay the penalty that we all deserve to pay. So when it comes to the cross, notice, okay, it is only through the person of Jesus Christ. It happens because of the work he did at that place where Jesus Christ died, the cross. But not only that, the price that was required. The Bible tells us very plainly that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And first Peter one eighteen says, listen, it wasn't with metals and gold and money or anything like that, that we were saved, but simply because Jesus shed his own blood like a sacrifice lamb 
And God saw that as precious and acceptable for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that was the price necessary for us to have forgiveness of sins. But I'll tell you this. The only way to possess that salvation comes by faith. Right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's only by God's grace that we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God and not of works so that no one can boast. No one's going to go to heaven and brag about what they did to get there. We're all going to be all we're going to be able to say is like Pilgrim. I to Jesus Christ who died for me. And because of the work he did on the cross, he took away my sin and see in the story, his burden falls away. Nothing he did. He just was looking to Christ like the Israelites did that serpent in the Old Testament, right? When, when Moses put that curse up on the, on the pole and when they looked with faith, they were healed and he was healed from the penalty of his sin. The burden rolled off and fell into the tomb, never to be seen again. There are some people who would tell you that you can lose salvation, but th- we are reminded in scriptures, right? Romans 8, 1 says there, not, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Once you're in Christ, you will never be condemned by God and kept out of heaven. In fact, Psalm 103 verse 12 says God separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. If you're a geography person, don't you just love that? You know, you take out a globe and we have plenty of them at our house. I love globes. Um, and, and, and you start going north and sooner or later you get to the North Pole. And even though you're heading in the same straight line, what you're going south, right? But when you go around the globe on, on, on the circle, like around the equator, you can go east forever and ever and ever and you're never going west. And you start out west and you're going forever and ever west and you're never going to start going east. They are forever separated, infinitely separated. And the Bible says that when you come to Christ, he separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. And um, many scriptures will reiterate that to us so we can have confidence in the work that God did. Now, what happened when he got to the cross? The, uh, Bunyan says that these three shining ones came to him at that moment as he was sitting there staring at the cross and he was overcome with joy. But suddenly one of them announced to him, peace be unto you. Your sin is forgiven you. Here he was with this burden for so long, not knowing what to do. And finally, he has peace with God. Now, there was a verse that we talked about in the Lord's Supper this morning. Was anyone here who remembers what verse said that? From the book of Romans. Were you here? Romans 5. One tells us, having been declared righteous by God through faith in him, we now have peace with God. So that's the first thing they said to him. And then they took those old dirty rags and they suddenly replaced them with brand new clothes. He was standing right there and suddenly he realized, wow, I'm not dressed in rags anymore. I'm wearing clothes like the child of a king. Right. And so his rags, which were a picture of what was going on in his heart with how filthy sin had made his own heart and life. Suddenly he was now acceptable to be in the king's presence. He wasn't wearing rags anymore. He was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so now he was fit to be before the king. Not only that, but they came and they put a seal on his forehead so that anyone who could look upon that seal would realize that he now belonged to God and do what anyone might try. It could never be removed. And so they gave him a scroll. And as he opened up the scroll, we're reminded by the scriptures that these things are written that you may know 
that you have eternal life. That scroll was meant to be a reminder of the assurance of his salvation. If he ever got to the place where he wondered, oh, will God still accept me when I get to heaven? He could take out that little scroll and unroll it and be reminded of the confidence that he could have of the hope of being in heaven. And so he received these four things at the cross and the scriptures speak of these things. We already mentioned Romans 5, 1, but Zechariah 3, 4 tells us about a priest who was clothed in rags, unfit to come into the temple to, to, to serve God. But the voice of God came and said, strip off those old clothes from him and put new and clean clothes on him so that he can be acceptable in my sight. And Zechariah tells us about that. And then. The seal on the forehead, it, it was, Ephesians 1 tells us that when, as soon as you believe in Christ, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he is forever linked and, and, and a part of our lives to guarantee us that we will end up in heaven. And that's what the scroll was to tell us about. 1 John 5.13 and 5.24 are great verses. If you don't know them, I encourage you to look them up. But, but notice now, these two are internal. Something you can't see really for you and I to do anything about having peace with God and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But these things on the outside are meant to be reminders of that. And um, anyway, so he continues from the cross. Now, in our story, Pilgrim tells us that as he began to journey past the cross and go on the way, that he saw three people sleeping. And these three people had names. Uh, um, I forgot the first one. One was Sloth. Simple, sloth, and presumption, right? Simple, when, when, when pilgrims saw them and they're shackled and, and, and they were in chains and they were kind of just stuck there and they were sleeping, he said, listen, get up. The cross is not far away. You can be saved. You can have your sin forgiven. And simple just said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see any problem. And then sloth said, listen, I'll do that tomorrow. And the presumption said, listen, I'll take care of myself. You just leave me alone. And, you know, that's the response of a lot of people we see in the world today, isn't it? We try to tell them about Jesus because of what he's done in our life. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a problem. They don't see themselves as lost. Or maybe they're deceived by the devil to think I can do that tomorrow. I'm still a young person. I want to have my party in and I want to live my own life my way. And later I'll get right with God. I know people who say that. But just like presumption, it says, I'll take care of it. Just leave me alone. They don't know that they'll have tomorrow. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And because he could do nothing for them, they didn't want to be waking up. They didn't want him to bother them anymore. They just went back to sleep and he had to just journey on. And, you know, we can pray for those people, but we can't do it for them. But we need to be like evangelists and keep looking for those who are ready. And so he went on. And as he went, suddenly two people jumped over the wall and their names were formalist and hypocrisy. Can you say that? Formalist and hypocrisy. They, like worldly wise men, were depending on being good and trying to follow the law of God. But see, this time, instead of just going to Mount Sinai and just avoiding the cross, they tried to go to the way. Here, aren't they on the same path that, that, that Christian is now traveling on? They're on the same path. And so they come over and he sees them jump the wall and he says to them, listen, what are you doing here? Why didn't you go to the gate and why didn't you go to the cross? They said, listen, friend, our town has been doing this for a thousand years. We have the precedent. We have the example of all these years to tell us what we're doing is right. Who are you to talk to us about the way that we are living our lives? Listen, 
The important thing is not how you get on the way to the celestial city. The important thing is that you're on the way and we're on the way. So you leave us alone. In fact, we probably follow God's laws better than you do. And he said, well, listen, you've got a problem. I'm on this way because I'm following the the Lord's directions. And he's the one that says, if anyone does not come through the gate, he's a thief and a robber. He's the one who gave me these clean clothes, not myself. And when I get to heaven, I can show him the promises that he gave me on this scroll as my right to be here. You don't have the new clothes. You don't have the scroll and you never went to the cross and he's going to reject you when you get to the end. And they didn't know what to say, but they just laughed at him until he just decided I need to walk on. And they walked with him, but they didn't talk to him anymore. And so they continued on their journey. And yes, are they on, they're on the same road, but are they going to the same place? No. And you know, there may be people sitting right here today. You think that you're in the way to heaven because you're in a religious place. But you've never been to the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for you. He wants to take your place. He wants to forgive you of your sin. But if you don't personally realize that you need to come to him and him alone. And you need to depend on the work that he did and not try to do it yourself. You'll never make it to heaven as clean as you can try to scrub the outside of your life and walk in the ways of the scripture. And so do you want to move them along, Timmy? All right. So he begins to walk along. And as they're walking, suddenly they come to the base of this hill. And the hill is the hill difficulty. Now, we know about this hill because Jesus told his disciples in John 16, he says, In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. And so he's right at the base here. There you go. So Pilgrim comes to the base of the hill and he sees the path and it's steep and it's going right up that hill. But he also sees that there's a path off to the left and there's a path off to the right. But he remembers the words of the interpreter. He remembers the words of goodwill that said the right path is always the straight and narrow path. And so you'll know the right path when you see the straight and narrow. He says, well, aren't there other paths? Oh, yes, they crisscross this one all the time, but they're wide and they're crooked and they take you to the wrong places. And as he sat there, he determined, I'm going to go through that difficulty with the Lord's help. And he began to climb the mountain. But as he went up the hill and it was steep. Formalist and hypocrisy saw him struggling. And so they noticed that these two other paths were there and one of them was called danger and one of them was called destruction. And they thought, well, if I just go around this mountain, I'll just meet up with Christian on the other side and continue the journey. But when they tried to avoid God's path for their lives, even though it included difficulty, they found that danger and destruction awaited them and they were never seen again. Do we ever try to avoid difficulty we do you know there's a book that was written and i studied it in college by scott peck called uh, the road less traveled and basically he says you know what a lot of the problems we have in life are because we're trying to avoid the problems we've already got and so we create more problems we create more stress we've because we're just avoiding the realities that are there and you know that journey beginning with him writing that book led him to become a true christian because he said i can't escape the problems of life i've got to address them and as he went to address them He was pointed to Jesus Christ and he found true deliverance and help for life. And if you come to Jesus Christ, he will help you with your problems. And so 
Pilgrim began to climb the mountain. And as he climbed, it was difficult. But about halfway up the mountain, he found that there was a little arbor there, a little resting place. And when he saw it and he was tired, he decided, I'm just going to rest a little while. And he gave thanks to the Lord. And in the midst of this difficult time, there was a place where he could just stop for a few minutes and rest. And as he sat there, he took out that scroll and he began to remind himself, although I'm having these difficulties, I have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for me because my Savior died for me. And he was reassuring himself with the scroll that God had given him. But as he sat there and he was resting, he got a little sleepy. And so he laid down to sleep. And as he slept, you know what happened? His little scroll fell out of his hand. And it disappeared under the little place where he was resting. And while he was sitting there sleeping, he was having this dream. And suddenly in the middle of the dream, this voice came to him and said, Awake, you sluggard, and go to the ant. And he woke up and he thought, huh? The Bible says the ant, no one has to tell them what to do. They just get themselves together and they, and they do what they know they're supposed to be doing. And they're not lazy. And ah, here, I was just supposed to rest for a little bit. And I just totally checked out and went to sleep. And so he started yelling at himself and he got up and he started up the journey again. And he and he started go as fast as he could going up that hill because he realized, oh, no, it's going to be night soon. And to walk in the path in the darkness is going to be all the more difficult. I should have been focused on getting to where I'm supposed to be today while it's light. And so he was going and going and, and he got all the way to the top of the hill. Actually, while he was on the way to the top of the hill, he met two people. Timorous and mistrust, fear and doubt. And they were running the other way. They were like, oh, we're going back. We're going back. And he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, oh, the troubles that lie ahead are so much worse than the ones back there. I can't bear it anymore. I'm going back. That was fearful. Mr. Timorous. And mistrust said, oh, there's two lions up on the head on the path. And I don't know. I even want to think about what they'll do to me when they, if I get too close. I'm going back. And so the fear and doubt were driving them back from down the path ahead. Well, as Christian passed them by, he thought, well, lions. What am I going to do if I face these lions? But he said, well, I can't go back. Uh, my destiny is in the celestial city. I've got to make it there. So, so I can't go back. And so he started to become fearful himself. And so he said, well, I need to encourage myself. And so let me get that scroll. Oh, no. Where is it? It was gone. His assurance was gone. And he said, oh, I can't go on without that. And so there he turned all the way back around and started marching down the hill again to go back to the arbor to try to regain his scroll, his assurance before God. Brothers and sisters, when we do things that we shouldn't do, the Bible has a word for that. Sin, right? Do we sin as Christians? Yes. Does that mean we need to go back to the cross in order to be saved all over again? No, because we already learned there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've passed out of death into life. We don't need to go back to the cross, but we do need to go back somewhere, right? And the Bible says we need to go back to the point where we departed from God's word and from his way and confess our sin. 
if you've gotten off of God's path for your life and you realize now that whatever reason you gave yourself at the time, you now realize, you know what? It was sin. The Bible simply says you go back before God and you confess that sin and God is faithful and he is just to forgive that sin and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And that's exactly what Pilgrim had to do. He had to go back to where he felt. Now, in life, that may not mean we need to physically travel somewhere. But before God, we need to revisit that event, that thought, that word, that deed, whatever it was, and get it right with God. And that's what Pilgrim did. He went back down the hill as hard as it was probably to go back down the hill, because sometimes it's more treacherous than going up. But he did. And he went and he looked for the scroll and he couldn't find it for a while. And he's like, where is it? And he sat down and cried. And he thought, it's gone. It's all gone. And when he was about to give up, he suddenly saw it hiding under a bush. And he picked it up and read it and he rejoiced. And, you know, in my own life, I've struggled with confessing to God over and over again, saying, Lord, I did it again. I did it again. And I still felt guilty. I didn't have that assurance. But where do we find assurance of forgiveness of sin, but confidence in the word of God when he said he is faithful and just to do it? And so we must accept it and, and take that assurance again. He said he would forgive. I believe he did forgive. And although I still feel dirty, Father, I choose rather to believe what you say rather than the way I kind of feel. And I'm going to I'm going to trust you. Fear and doubt were the men running the opposite direction. Didn't want to press on ahead. But we can overcome fear and doubt. We can overcome all those thoughts of unacceptabilities and, and regret when we sin if we'll come back and confess them before God and make them right. And so that's what Pilgrim did. And then he began his journey once again. But you know what? By the time he reached the top of the mountain, it was dark. And he was still upset with himself. He understood that he was right with God again, but he said, why didn't I just do what I was supposed to do? I could have walked this path path once and I could have been up here in the daylight. But now I've had to walk it three times and it's night and it's more difficult than it would have been. And don't you know that if you follow sin instead of God's word, it's going to make life more difficult. We already have difficulties, but we create more difficulties by disobeying God and following our own paths. And so we can learn from Pilgrim's example. We can learn from men in the Bible like Solomon who had it all going for him and yet he turned away from God and he let his heart be sucked away by his wives and all the possessions that he, that he was pursuing and all kinds of pleasures that he thought would make more happiness than what God had already given him. And it, it just made his life more difficult. And we can learn from their example. And so, yes, he was right with God again, but now it was nighttime and he made it to the top of the hill. And he had to retrace his steps three times or follow that pathway three times rather than once to try to progress in his life with God. Well, he did get over that. It was beginning to be nightfall. And as he as he continued on his journey, he saw this building. It was off in a distance. He saw it. It was now night and he saw the lights from it and it was a beautiful looking house. In fact, it was called the Palace Beautiful. And as he saw it, he said, OK, I've got to get there. Perhaps there I can have a peaceful night's sleep and not be out here in the in, in the in the open, unprotected and cold in the dark. And so he began to go closer. But as he went, he realized these are the lions that 
timorous and mistrust were telling me about. Not only can I, I hear them, but, but now I'm getting to the place where I can see them. And, and, and where's that role? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I got, I got to reassure myself because I'm starting to feel fear myself. And, and, and oops. And, and, and he was just about ready to turn back when suddenly there was someone at the house. The porter, whose name was Watchful, was watching at the door for pilgrims just like Christian. And he saw that he was traveling and he saw that Christian had stopped and was about to turn to run. And so he called to him and he said, don't be afraid of the lions. They're chained. They can't hurt you. Just stay in the middle of the path and they will not harm you. And because the porter was standing in the doorway, there left a ray of light straight down the path to where Christian was. And so he could see the path to get into the palace beautiful. And so as afraid as he was because those lions and the lions were pulling at the chains and trying to get him. But he began to walk and he found his way to the door of the palace beautiful. And once Pilgrim was led inside, he was given a place to sleep, a place of rest. And he stayed there several days to recover from his journey. And there's a lot that happened there to help him for his journey on the way ahead. Now, what we need to realize about the Palace Beautiful is that it's meant to be a picture of the local church. You see, for a Christian going through life, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with other believers in the local church. We're supposed to be there to encourage one another. We're supposed to be there to get instruction for life. We're supposed to be there to be equipped for the battle of our daily lives, the spiritual battle, as well as the difficulties that are out there. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Christian as he comes into the palace beautiful. But how does someone get into this palace beautiful? I'd like to suggest to you, first of all, That there are lions that try to keep people out of the church. Now a true Christian, can he be kept out? No. No. God made the church for the believer. But do you think Satan wants to see people in a church? No. No way. And so like those lions that are there to intimidate and keep people from that pathway to the door. Satan is working and he has a lot of helpers to keep people away. And it could be just plain fear. Oh, they're going to judge me. Those people, they've got their life together and I don't. They're going to look down on me. Shame on us. Sometimes we do look down on people. But where are people supposed to go? Who want to grow in Christ? Who want to learn how to get their life together? But the church. God has prepared a place for the travelers in life to come to receive that instruction. But the, but, but the church is not for everybody. You have to be a believer to truly be a part of the local church. And so when the porter watchful came, first of all, he was on the lookout for those who might come. But then he, he greeted him and welcomed him and said, come, come. But before he led him all the way in, so to speak, he said, let me ask you a few questions. And in the story, he actually called for four young ladies. Young ladies, because they were gracious and because they they um, were meant to reflect the character that all of us are supposed to reflect in 
the church of Jesus Christ. And so the porter himself, watchful, is meant to be a picture of the leadership of the church. The elders who are watching out for your souls, the scriptures say. So submit to their leadership. Obey their instruction, we're told in Hebrews 13. That it may go well with you and that they can do their work without frustration. That you can cooperate together and and move on successfully in your Christian life. And so Watchful was doing his job. He was watching for the weary travelers who who, who might be coming that way so that he can reach out and help them where they are. But then these four ladies, discretion, piety, prudence, and charity, using good judgment, those who love God, who've learned to discipline themselves to walk away from worldliness and towards Christ and to share the love for one another and towards the Lord that we should. Discretion, piety, prudence, and charity. They began to ask him questions. So where are you from? How did you reach the place of the cross or deliverance from your sins? They wanted to hear his story so they could know, is this person just saying they're a Christian or are they really? See, that's what happens. And sometimes the personal questions that are made when someone comes to visit our local church scare them off like the lions. Perhaps because they have no testimony or perhaps because they're not walking with Christ and they don't want to be exposed. But God has placed a protection in this palace beautiful where we need to know what's going on in one another's lives so that we can fellowship together. And upon talking to Christian, they realized that he was a true believer and they welcomed him into the family. They brought him in and they, they sat and they talked about the Lord. They ate dinner together. They fellowshiped together as they came together in the palace beautiful. And while he was there, they said, listen, stay here for a few days. They let him sleep in the room called Peace. And he did. He had a beautiful sleep that night. Somehow I get ahead of myself on this thing. And while he was there, they began to instruct him. They began to teach him the things from the word of God about those who had gone on before. And, and, and the overall instruction of the scriptures, not only from the Old Testament, but looking ahead, saying there are challenges in your life and you need to know how to wear the armor of God. And so the purposes of the church, we see these things in Acts 2.42, don't we? They came together to break bread. And to worship the Lord and remember his death for them. They prayed together. They learned what was going on in each other's lives through fellowship. And they taught the word of God to one another. And that is the way that God has designed for us to be encouraged in our pathway through life. Yes, we have difficulties, don't we? Yes, we have mountains to climb. But we're not meant to simply climb them alone and hunker under the tree and cry. We're supposed to welcome one another and fellowship with each other. Share what the Lord is doing in our lives. Instruct one another. Encourage one another in our walk with God. As long as it's called today to encourage one another because the Lord has promised he's coming soon, but it's going to get more treacherous before it gets better. And so our pilgrim has arrived at the Palace Beautiful. Oh, there's so much more I wanted to say about the local church. Because that's us. Perhaps we'll look at that a little bit more before we go on this evening. This evening, we're going to realize that in the Palace Beautiful, as he learns about the armor that he needs in order to continue his journey, he's going to have to descend this hill, the Valley of Humiliation. 
And once he does, he's going to be challenged by Apollyon, a picture of the devil himself. He knows when to attack us, doesn't he? When we are down. And he's got lots of tricks. And tonight we'd like to consider how we as believers can help encourage one another to be ready for those challenges and be able to face Apollyon in our own daily lives. Let's pray together. Father, oh, we have difficulties, Lord. Truth be told, we don't like to talk about them. Some of them are difficulties and problems of our own creation because like Christian in our story, we ourselves have chosen to do things we ought not to have done and our lives are more difficult as a result. And we're ashamed of it, Lord. We, we want to forget about those things and yet you tell us we need to go back to confess those things to you, first of all. And sometimes, Lord, you say, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. And I just pray that today, Lord, if there's anyone whose heart you've been speaking to, that you would help us to be willing to open ourselves to you and to one another to get the help that we need to get right with you, to regain our assurance and confidence of where we truly stand with you, that we might move on, move forward in our Christian life. And Lord, as we face those difficulties, let us remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said, my peace I give to you. Not like the world. I don't give you peace like the world. No, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And through the Holy Spirit, you yourself, Lord, are drawing near to us in our daily lives to help us through these difficulties and grant us that peace in the midst of the storm. Would you please help us, Lord, also as a local church to be watchful, to be open and welcoming to fellow travelers who need what you have established in a local church, that we might study your word, fellowship, remember and worship Christ together and pray one for another. And so, Lord, take us this day. Draw us close to you. Use us for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 If you're one of those people who still don't quite understand how to know for sure if your sin is forgiven, you're not a real Christian, please come talk to us before you leave today. Thank you.